Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of Sports Tonight. Now, the ones united here, I'd like to welcome our legends from Sarasota slash Philadelphia, Mr. Don Henderson and Roger Hender, 
in the Hotlanta. Mr. Roy Cummings down here in Tampa and Frank Spinetta Dolls in Tampa Bay, too. Gentlemen, welcome to a great program. Never, I guess we could rest in peace now. We've seen the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will be hosting the Super Bowl, first ever in NFL history. That's, that's going to be something else. Oh, well, Roy, let's see you grab that one first. Yeah, it's uh, obviously uh, Tampa's uh, the epicenter yet again of the sports world. It's been this way for uh, for a while. It wasn't really the epicenter, I guess, when Tampa Bay was in the Stanley Cup playoffs, but it was when the Rays were in the uh, World Series a little bit. Uh, and this time they actually get to, to have a game here. So uh, um, Super Bowl in Tampa Bay, and the Bucks are uh, one of them. It's... Uh, Never happened before, and but the difference is, guys. You know, there's a bit of a, uh, I guess, a clarification on that. Um, this is not the first time that a team has, in essence, hosted a Super Bowl. It's the first time a team has played it in its own stadium. I think the 49ers oh. did it twice. Maybe the Raiders or Rams played in the in the Rose Bowl once uh, in the Super Bowl, and uh, but this is the first time a team's actually played in its own uh, stadium. And uh, you know what? Uh, I'll tell you. They uh, they have a really good chance of winning this game, guys. Uh, the Bucks are playing tremendous football right now in every facet. You know, even their defense, I think, has uh, come around a little bit. Um, you can still throw against these guys, but that pass rush is tough. Uh, Aaron Rodgers can uh, can confirm that for everybody. He'll attest to that for sure. But um, you know, can they get there to uh, can they get to Patrick Mahomes? We'll see. But uh, right now, the Bucks have a real good chance of. Uh, Making good on this Super Bowl or bust approach that they uh, they took to this season when they got Tom Brady, and believe me, guys, that's exactly what it was. It was all about getting to the Super Bowl this year. I mean, they really rolled the dice, put all the chips in the middle of the table, if you will, uh, however you whatever uh, analogy you want to put to it. Uh, they threw it out there, and uh, it was all about getting to the Super Bowl. And well, here they are. So you know what? Congratulations to them. No question, and of course they brought Gronk in right away, as you indicated. They also brought Brown in midseason. Unfortunately, he had the knee injury is not going to be able to participate in the Super Bowl, I don't believe. But uh, Roy, I'd like your observation on that. I don't want to take one thing away from Brady. I think he, you know, he did everything he could possibly do. But I think when he threw those two interceptions, and the defense stepped up, and Green Bay didn't move the ball or score. I thought it was such a determining factor. I'm, I'm a great defensive guy anyway. But I said those two series following the interceptions, uh, Aaron Rodgers normally goes right down the field and beats you to death. It didn't happen. No, you're right. And like I said, the defense is coming around. Uh, you can still throw against this defense, but uh, they have gotten better in the red zone. Um, they're better at taking the ball away right now, and they can absolutely get after the quarterback. Uh, I would uh, be concerned if I'm Kansas City without a, one of its starting tackles, Fisher, uh, for this game. Um, you cannot do what the Packers did and try to leave those tackles out on an island against uh, Jason Pierre-Paul or Shaq Barrett uh, with what they've got coming at you in the middle. When you've gotten Dominican Sue and Vita Vea, that's, uh, that's, seven, that's almost 700 pounds of uh, mm-hmm. offensive linemen coming up the middle, and you've got to devote uh, two players to at least one of those guys, if not both. And what you do is you just you run out of bodies. Uh, you're going you're gonna to have to chip those uh, those ends coming off the edge uh, if you want to have any kind of a chance. Uh, now, and, and look, Aaron Rodgers is as mobile as they come. 
Uh, Patrick Mahomes may be a little bit more mobile, but how mobile with a sore toe? Maybe it's better by in two weeks. But still, bottom line is um, there aren't too many players who make plays on the on the run and on the move as well as Aaron Rodgers does. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is in his class, but uh, it didn't matter against Aaron Rodgers uh, last week, and it may not matter against Patrick Mahomes. That could really be the X factor, Don, as you pointed out. Um, Brady can turn this ball over. And if the defense can get after the quarterback and move him off his spot, uh, they, they can uh, you know they, they they can make up for it. So uh, it's really a, a, a tremendous matchup. Two great quarterbacks, uh, defense that's on the rise that a lot of people don't quite know about, simply because you know it's been a little bit underrated over uh, the course of this season, and well and rightfully so. Um, but uh, they may be coming together just uh, as the offense has come together and playing its best football right now. Roger? Roy, I agree with everything you've said, uh, from the opening comment to just the, uh, the uh, last one. And uh, a couple of things. It looks to me like uh, Pierre Paul has resurrected his career. And uh, after what I saw the last uh, few weeks, and, and I agree, that, that defensive line is just, uh, you know, unbelievable. And uh, what Brady had, what, three interceptions, I think, on Sunday, right, against the Packers. And yeah. that, that could be the, uh, the, the uh, telling tale uh, in, in, the, uh, in the game. And uh, the other thing is, I guess this year, because of the COVID, there's really not a radio row because the teams don't come in until, uh, I think, Friday, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, It's not going to be a Super Bowl like any other that we've seen. In fact, you know what? Uh, It'll be nothing like what we've become accustomed to um, for Super Bowls, at least from a media standpoint. Um, It it will, however, be uh, a great matchup. You know, I think one of the things that benefits the Bucs guys is that they're not going to have to go live in a hotel now for the course of the week. Uh, Kansas City will, although Kansas City's not coming until Friday. So, um, they're kind of treating it like a regular week, uh, you know. I think with the Zoom calls, as a, you know, as opposed to having a, a media day, um, it makes it a little bit more of a, you know, it takes a little bit of the luster off, but it also allows the teams to be a little bit more comfortable, practice the way they want. Um, you know, uh, heck, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe I don't know exactly what the plan is for Kansas City, but I think they'd be better off just coming down here and uh, getting accustomed to things uh, in the warmer weather as opposed to uh, Kansas City, although they may, uh, you know, so we'll see what happens. But it's just an interesting um, situation, whereas uh, they're not going to have all the media attention and they're not going to have all the media uh, availability that they're norm- used to having. Bucks are going to be able to stay basically in uh, at home, uh, their own home, sleep in their own beds. That gives them an edge, I think. So uh, a lot of different things about this game. Uh, we'll see how it works out, obviously, when they tip it off uh, in a week and a half here. <clears throat> Tommy? Yeah, Roy. Well, I think it's going to be a great football game, Roy, but I got a big, biggest question of the day. Will the Bucks have their own sideline and will they dress in their own training room? Who's going to be the home team, you think? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm not exactly sure, and uh, I would think that that was probably designated, but I would think that the NFC team would get the Bucks locker room. So, uh, as the home team. So I would think the Tampa Bay is going to have their own locker room. I'd be a little surprised if they didn't. Um, the other locker room's a little smaller. 
Um, not significantly, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, enough to, to make a difference. But, um, you know, that's that kind of thing. Uh, you know, teams can adjust to that. Uh, as far as the sideline goes, I don't think it's going to make a difference there because you're not going to – there's not going to be a sun side, you know. So the game's going to kick off at, uh, what, 639 or whatever. So sun will already be down. It'll be nighttime. So uh, I don't think anybody has an advantage there. Um, but uh, you're right. Uh, it's again, it's one of those interesting things when you got a team playing in the old stadium. You know how exactly uh, do they work that? So but I would think though that that was designated uh, well ahead of uh, the, the Bucks getting into the game, and that I, I'd be surprised if it changes whatever that um, whatever that stipulation was. Roy, they are the home team. Uh, Tampa Bay is the home team, and yeah, uh, I, 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 ju- I yeah, I just checked it. The other thing is getting – I know Frank wanted to jump in, and I just wanted to say one yeah, thing. Yeah, I just got to say. Know, this, go ahead, Frank. That's all right. Go ahead. Finish up, Roger. No, I was just going to say, you know, when you think about it, the first time I ever went to a Super Bowl week was in 1987, uh, and, and also in 88 we did a broadcast. I was doing, his, uh, work, uh, doing a, a show at a station in Princeton, and there were three – radio stations there and that was radio row and you know the way well you probably have been to them where you went in and you made out a uh, we used to call what was it 3m paper that was like carbonless paper and that's where you you uh, you wouldn't even make it the a reservation in advance you could but you could go in and they gave you a pin and that was your uh, press pass for the for the week and and that is probably what it's like now because you're just not going to have as much media coverage as we've used we're used to over the last twenty years. Good point, uh, Frank. What what was your question? Yeah, I had a couple of questions for you. One, um, at, towards the end of the game, when, when or in the second half, when the when um, Brady threw those interceptions, they were. They were interceptions. There, were, there was no doubt about it. The, the routes were there, but he was short on those. Do you think that he's got the stamina to go another full full uh, game um, and be a little bit more? Now, I understand what his parents are saying, that he was worried about them with COVID-19. Um, but my question to, is, you know, do you, do you think that he has that arm strength? I mean, he was out there a long time. Those guys got him – those. There's, excuse me, defensive lineman got him plenty of time to get out there. Do you think there's a possibility that they should be switching him in and out just to get that arm some rest? Yeah, I would look. I would think with uh, with two weeks uh, off before the game, you know, he'll have plenty of time to kind of rest up and uh, you know make sure that he's 100. percent You know, it's it's kind of funny. It's really a good question, Frank, because a lot of people, based on the fact that Tom Brady is you know, played very, very well this year, uh, you know, kind of, well, the questions about his arm strength are, are gone. I mean, because he basically led the league and most, most passes over 20 yards downfield and uh, not only most passes, but most completed passes, uh, most points off those passes, I think, and things like that. He basically was the best uh, deep thrower in the league, but, you know, let's not forget that, uh, he also threw, I think most of his interceptions on those throws. It's not like he's getting picked right. off throwing, you know, seven-yard uh, crossing routes, and um, right. granted that that you know that that risk is always there when you throw it deep. But look, I think people have forgotten uh, exactly what you pointed out that 
you know, he did throw it short on several of those plays. He threw it short on a few. You know, it's a mixed bag because he also dropped a few dimes down. You know, you dropped the ball in the bucket uh, on a few of those long throws too. So it's a bit of a, you know, it's a bit of a of an unknown. You don't really know what you're going to get from Tom Brady on those deep throws. Sometimes he hits it right on the mark, and sometimes he's way short. Um, and very seldom is he way long, um, but he's usually either just a little bit short, uh, enough to you know be a problem and, and lead to an interception, or he's right on the money. So uh, if he throws you know the wrong pass at the wrong time, um, Kansas City could uh, you know could take full advantage. And here's the other thing that you got to keep in mind: Kansas City, pretty much accustomed to to being behind by a score or two. And coming back, mm-hmm. um, obviously mm-hmm. did it, what, two, three times last year in the Super Bowl as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Did it last week, I think. And, uh, you know, so this is not a, a situation they're not accustomed to. They they could be down by 17 and, you know, basically be just blink an eye and say, yeah, we're good. We'll, we'll be fine. So um, it, it's a good question about Tom Brady. You know, how good will he be with the deep pass? I don't think you're going to know from play to play because from play to play it changes. Yeah. Well, I think, too, that uh, going back to what we talked about at the top of the show, defense, I'm, I'm a great believer in defense. And, you know, Todd Bowles had a, a relatively poor, I'll put it, first half against uh, Kansas City. But Hill got over 200 yards in the first half. Uh, he did make adjustments. The second half was much different. But as you indicated a minute ago, uh, that middle zone and a receiver like Hill uh, – Todd Bowles is going to have his hands full deciding he, he didn't double-team Hill in the beginning, and it's going to be interesting to see what he does from a defensive standpoint against that player in particular. Yeah, I think you're right. And, uh, look, the one, I think the one thing that, that is different about Kansas City uh, compared to uh, Green Bay is that Kansas City has a, a pretty good number of weapons. Uh, that you have to worry about. It's not just like you know, like Green Bay, which basically was down to one weapon. Um, and the Bucks did a fairly good job of taking him away. But, um, you know, look, when, when, if you take away everybody else, uh, Aaron Rodgers, you know, has to sit back there and look around and, and does he have time for it. Whereas Kansas City's got, you know, it's not just Tyreek Hill. There, there's other weapons out there in the running game and the passing game. Obviously, Travis Kelsey's a big one. Uh, Edward Hilaire is another uh, you know, it looks like uh, they're going to have their backup running back uh, is going to be good for this game uh, in Kansas City. wasn't last week, but he's going to be back for this one, I think. So um, the, the defense is going to have to be a little sharper uh, in every facet. And, uh, again, to me the key is you can still throw against this team, especially when they're playing, uh, especially when they're playing zone. And I don't know that they're going to play that much. I think they're starting to develop a lot of confidence in playing man-to-man. Uh, off the pass rush, um, but uh, if they play that soft man, well, that doesn't. That, <laughs> I think Kansas City could take advantage of that. But you know what? Again, just like Kansas City can come back from a score or two down, so can Tampa Bay. It, it's really, on paper, it, it is a really good matchup, and I'll be a little surprised if this isn't a, a 34-36 kind of game uh, overall and then right to the end. Roger? Yeah, I, I agree with you, Roy. I think it will be uh, till the end. And um, is there, at this, of course, it's too early. It's the, uh, you know, the beginning of the week. And I was listening to uh, 
uh, Charlie Weiss today talking about it, and uh, he thinks the important thing is that uh, the change this week of being home later, it's going to really in some ways help both teams. Uh, obviously, being home for Tampa is even more uh, even more important. But the reason is normally they put in pretty much the entire game plan on the first week when they're back at their home base. And then they come in and then they tweak it and they add maybe a couple of things. Well, now they can spend more time on each individual area, whether it be defense or offense. I thought that was a, a really a good uh, a point that, you know, you really don't think about uh, until you're in a situation like this year. Yeah, it's a real good point uh, because, look, you know, I think one of the biggest, uh, one of the most difficult things for a team uh, that has not been to the Super Bowl is to adjust to all of the distractions and everything that's going on in and around the game. It's impossible not to notice it. Uh, you're spending a week in a hotel. Uh, you got media availability every day, which you're not accustomed to. One thing Tony Dungy used to – one of the reasons Tony Dungy, uh, in essence, made it mandatory for everybody to be available every day that the media was, had availability in, inside the Buccaneers locker room back in the day was – because he wanted those players to be accustomed to that, um, to knowing that you're going to spend an hour, hour and a half of your day, uh, you know, with the media uh, every day of the week. And he wanted his players to be accustomed to that so that if they ever got into the Super Bowl, it wasn't a shock to them. And, you know, when they finally did get there, John, uh, John Gruden was the coach. It wasn't Tony Dungy, but the players were the same, and they, and they were accustomed to it. They, they were all very comfortable with the media. Um, Kansas City's been through it. Uh, obviously, Gronkowski's been through it. Brady's been through it. A couple other guys on the Bucks have been through it. But the majority of the Bucks players have not. So a big advantage is going to be that they are going to be, as uh, Charlie Weiss said, and as you pointed out, uh, Roger, they are going to be at home. Um, they're going to be going through a, a, a much less uh, – there just won't be as many distractions around this game as there normally would be. Um, usually the city is all a buzz, and it is. Uh, there's a buzz, but um, you kind of got to go find that buzz. Uh, I don't think the buzz is going to come for you. Know, it's not going to be the same buzz. And um, so I think they're going to have a great time. Both teams are going to have a, a real easy time devoting uh, time to what they should be doing, and, and that's uh, game planning. And uh, that, should not, that should not be a problem. Uh, both teams should – at least be prepared X's and O's wise and probably not too well worn out from, you know, all the media uh, responsibilities. So uh, in that regard, again, a uh, different kind of game than what we're used to seeing with the Super Bowl. We'll see who takes the best advantage of that. Tommy, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's the main thing, Roy. I want to ask you this question here. What about who, who's got the advantage in the, in the kicking game right now? That could come down to a field game winning field goal like Buffalo did versus the Giants years ago. Scott Norwood, wide right. So who thinks got the right. advantage in that situation? Yeah, right? that's, a, that's a great one, Tommy. I mean, we obviously uh, it's one of the, the greatest misses of all time uh, here. Right. And uh, uh, so, you know, could that happen again? I, look, I would think the Bucks have the edge because uh, Ryan Suckup knows the field better. He's kicked on it more often. Uh, they're going to know which side they want. Um, they're going to have that edge. Uh, Kansas City one time they've been on this field. So I think Tampa's got the edge there. Uh, do they have the better kicker? Not necessarily, but I, th I think the fact that uh, you've got a guy here who uh, can go kick on that field anytime he wants, just about has, 
just about and uh, has, has played on it uh, eight, nine times. Um, that's going to be, a, I think that's going to give them a bit of an edge. But um, I'll tell you what, the, the, the real edge is going to, we're not going to know who's got an edge really until we get to game day and see what the weather's right. like. If it's, uh, you know, if it's cold rainy. and windy, uh, if it's rainy, and, and again, with the, the winter we've had here in Florida, uh, all those are possibilities. You know, it, it could be 72 degrees and, and beautiful and, and not, a, not a breeze at all. Um, but it also could be uh, it could be in the 30s or 40s. It could be rainy. It could be windy. Um, it could be a mess. So uh, so we'll see what happens. But um, uh, just on uh, you know everything being equal, I would think Ryan Suckup's got a bit of an edge there, Tommy. Right, Ray. I wanted to uh, yeah. One one question was uh, with um, on the other side of the ball, Mahone's having that. Uh, um, Head problem, um, concussion. Uh, will and bringing him back a, a week uh, is that was out of out of kilter as far as the t- the league was concerned, as far as their rules. But given the two weeks, he probably is going to be back in in, in good shape. Now, you know, everybody stands in awe of this guy because he's he's great. I mean, he's getting five hundred million dollars. But I just wanted to invite yeah, you right. and you and and your wife. Uh, before we got on the air, uh, Roger let us know that Don has purchased tickets for all of us uh, for the <laughs> sideline, and I want to invite you guys, you and your wife, to come. <laughs> well, thanks very much. Mr. Big, Don. Frank, Frank, you're exactly right, but I donated them to Sarasota Memorial Hospital because I knew <laughs> – you fellows wouldn't want to have the imposition of having you go down. So all the first responders at Sarasota Memorial got the tickets. That's right. Uh, oh, what a That's gesture. nice of you, Don. That's nice of you, Don. Let those first responders uh, enjoy the game. Uh, I've seen plenty of them for me, so that's how I feel about it. But if you're talking about the concussion, you know, yeah, I, I think Patrick Holmes is going to be fine. I uh, certainly didn't uh, didn't seem any worse for the wear uh, in the game last week, so I think he'll be fine two weeks to get him ready. Um, he should be good to go. Uh, look, from a health standpoint, it uh, looks like everybody's going to be in pretty good shape. So uh, uh, Tampa might be without uh, might be without one of their players who got, who got banged up last week. Uh, one of the safeties. Hey, who it looks like we're not yes, quite sure what win. that injury yes. is. Yes. Thank you. But yeah. uh, overall, I think everybody's going to be in pretty good shape health-wise. Uh, these, they're not too banged up to begin with, uh, and with two weeks to go to, to get ready, they should be uh, should be everybody should be in good shape. Roy, before let's you just go, hope, just let's just hope the virus stays away, boys. Roger, you're up next. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to say one quick thing. Uh, uh, the uh, today they were talking about the uh, the Senior Bowl and how different mm-hmm. it is, and uh, the reason is that some of the college players that opted out and didn't play at all this year are now playing in the senior bowl or the, yeah, the senior bowl. And, you know, Mm. there's another point that, you know, you don't think about because there were some very good players that opted out, but they know from their 19, uh, 2019 seasons, they're really, uh, they have a lot of potential. And I, I just thought that was some point I never thought of, you know, about these opt-out players. Yeah, it is a good point. Uh, obviously, Senior Bowl is a 
It's a it's an it's an NFL convention. I mean, every scout, coach, right. and uh, GM is there at some point, and uh, great opportunity for everybody to see uh, you know the best players in the at the college level, uh, you know, out there working, you know, actually working out and going through practice like drills. And it's about the best evaluation you can get one-on-one. I mean, uh, you're right on top of these guys. You're looking right at them. Uh, and that's almost, you know, virtually face to face. And, um, yeah, so we got the East West Shrine game, uh, this week, I guess. And then the senior bowl. Yeah. The senior bowl now. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 um, it's a, uh, it's it's a big week for sure in the NFL. Yeah, also, Roger, you make a key point there because they also, uh, you know, aren't going to have the evaluation they normally have during uh, from the end of the Super Bowl until they decide to come up against the draft. That's not, that's not going to happen this year. You're going to have to go to individual campuses to see whatever right. players you want to see and, and get some cooperation. So it's a very key point. Yeah, you know, I bet there was a lot of scrambling prospect. going on amongst those uh, prospects to get involved in one of these all-star games, either the Shrine game or the, the Senior Bowl, because let's face it, uh, if you're one of those guys who opted out, uh, you don't have any tape, and uh, you kind of got to go, you know, start off and say, hey, remember me? Um, you know, I can yeah. still play this game. I'll, I'll bet opting out is, is going to – I don't think there's any question. It's going to hurt a couple of guys in terms of their draft position. Uh, opting out is okay. – uh, more more than likely going to cost some uh, cost guys a lot of money and uh, and draft position, but you know you got to you got to put your safety first, or else you know I mean imagine uh, getting the the virus and and really struggling with it, you could be uh, you could have put yourself in, in major jeopardy. So uh, it is what it is. Wow. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to have the combine, uh, but uh, they uh, Thomas Dimitrov said today that uh, you're allowed to have ten. Uh, for representatives from each of the NFL teams at the senior bowl. So that's been uh, really cut back too, obviously for obvious reasons. Yeah. So it, yeah, it's not going to be quite the convention that it was. No, that makes sense though. Um, you know, everything's right. going to have to be limited a little bit, but uh, I would, I would think they're still going to have the combine though. That would, boy, I'd be surprised if that. Yeah, is that right? Oh my goodness. Only time will tell. Indeed. Tommy. That's right, because it's, it's a tough thing to do with the combines up there and that. But I'm excited because next 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 Sunday, the first ever Tampa Bay will be playing the own, in their own stadium. They're trying to win another championship. And Roy, you know, and I know everybody in this program knows, guess who got the area started for winning championships? Your Tampa Bay well, Lightning. <laughs> absolutely. The Lightning were the first. And, uh, Hey, they were the right. first team, the first major pro, the first pro sports team to even get to the playoffs. So, uh, and they won the right. first title. And you know what? Let's hope uh, Tampa Bay can. Uh, hey, it's you know what? It's been a cruddy 2020, 2021. Uh, yeah, no doubt about it. I'll leave you guys with You're this. You're right about that. Tampa Bay, but in Tampa Bay, it's been the best year ever for sports, man. We have had we have been blessed here in Tampa Bay in terms of sports uh, and success with the team. So been a fun year in that regard thankfully we got something out of it here in tampa yes we did well, Roy, <laughs> thank you very much as always i i know uh bill matthews is probably standing by and we we sort of got shortchanged with bill last week uh so frank is bill standing by or are we still yes, on, sir, on uh, with roy okay he wants Boy, to bill you wouldn't we're on one last uh, segment yes sir but uh don uh, has, I, has I, so, I, so graciously bought tickets for the uh Super Bowl. He bought a box. 
uh, the twenty-one thousand dollar <laughs> ticket. So you, you're welcome to bring the whole family. Well, well, as I said a minute ago, I I thought that so many people that we work with daily, uh, you know, would really give up those tickets for first responders, and that's why I gave them. But Bill, let's get to you because Coach. <laughs> Uh, official score uh, for years and years and years at the top. Uh, a very, very evaluator. I know there are a couple of rules. I, I really don't I haven't looked at the rule changes, if there are any, for this year. But uh, uh, we got cut off last week a little bit too early. Uh, so, first of all, some of your observations about the, uh, the movement of players uh, trying to be signed. There's only one real key player left. Yeah, you know, it's been an interesting offseason. Um, you, you don't know. Major League Baseball had a $4 billion loss. That's what they stated. You don't know how that wow. impacts team by team by team. Now, it's a $4 billion loss for this season, but the 175 seasons prior to this season, they probably made a profit. So there's probably still money left. But the interesting thing is nobody's ready to commit to long-term contracts. Um, the Rays, Rays are the Rays, man. It's, it's a business model. They're going to bring guys in. They're going to give them a chance to play for a year, maybe two years. And then they're going to unload them for great picks because they were actually the team that gave this guy a chance to salvage his career. So, it, you know, the, the, if, if, if you look at the Rays and what they've done, really, really interesting pitching-wise. Um, if you look at a projected first five guys, Glasnow, Yarbrough, Waka, Fleming, and Louis Patino, who no one knows about. Waka, everybody's going to say, oh, my God, you know, he was good a few years ago, but where is he now? Well, you know, there's a reason why the Rays traded for him. He's, he's, he's got something somewhere that they've seen, and, it's, and I don't think they're done. I, I think they're still looking for an arm. I don't know what they have left in terms of salary and how they want to approach that. Um, so it, it, it's going to be, I think, in the next two to three weeks, we'll probably see them finalize their roster. The guys that they picked up in their last trade, two of those guys will be in the big leagues and be very good players within two years. Um, the kid that catches, um, Mejia, he's, he's legit. Boy, he can throw. He can hit. He's mature. He can call a game. Um, I, I really like what he brings to the table. And and Patino on the mound, he's he's got a great arm. I mean, these guys, I, you know, I I admire the heck out of the Rays. They they do their homework. They don't tell anybody what they're doing. Ultimate secrecy, but they always bring in guys who can produce. It's really a fun club to be around. It really is. They know what Roger? they're doing, Bill. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. They know what they're doing. Um, you know, in Philadelphia, uh, JT Riamuto, uh was signed. But I thought what was interesting is originally, I think he got what he wanted. But the thing is, it spread out over five years instead right. of three years. Right. And uh, the and and the other thing is that if he uh, starts declining because of age, I think he's thirty-one. Uh, they can move him to first base, you know, or have sure. him play some time like Buster Posey. But you you hit sure. the nail on the head, Bill. I it's uh, it's changed. Uh, the scope of the entire industry. There's no doubt. No, no doubt. It, it's, uh, I don't know that you can say it's equalized or it's balanced um, because you still got the super teams with, uh, with big money, Dodgers, Yankees, Red Sox. Um, 
all kinds of people questioning the Red Sox and Heim Bloom. Heim is brilliant. Um, you know, give him a chance. And, and you know, the Red Sox, they're not going to be the Red Sox of old. They're not going to be the guys who are knocking down the green monster. They're going to be athletes. But you got to give him a chance to, to do what he's going to do. Um, but the folks in Boston, you know, I grew up in Rhode Island. The folks in Boston are uh, – they're not known for being very patient. Second only to the mm-hmm. Yankees and Mets fans. There's, there's no patience north of the Mason-Dixon line. So <laughs> I hope they give him a chance to produce because he's going to get it done. He's a, he's a brilliant man when it comes to projecting talent. Well, Bill, I say two things. One, that Cashman, uh, as well as uh, what's happening with the Red Sox, they're both going to some very, very suspect players. They're praying, <laughs> I should say praying, they're hoping their evaluation that these players are going to be able to come back after either not being productive for a year or maybe even a year and a half. And they've got a, they've signed a bunch of them now and just hope that they find a, a needle in a haystack. You know, that's a really, really good point. I think more teams are trying to emulate the Rays model, but the Rays are the Rays. The Rays are bringing in, for example, one of the guys that I have dinner with on a regular basis is one of their analysts. He's 27 years old. He went to MIT, wasn't challenging enough. So he transferred to Harvard, wasn't mm. challenging enough. He transferred to Yale, wasn't really challenging enough. So he just dropped out, and he wrote a 100-page thesis on spin revolution and the effect on every pitch thrown in baseball. The Rays saw that, wow. and they hired him. Here's a guy who has taken three of the top institutions in the country and said, nah, you guys aren't challenging me. I'm just going to do this on my own. You know, how do you find people like that? And, and this is what the Rays have done. The Wall Street background, the business model. I mean, these guys are, are trendsetters because they're non-baseball people. And, you know, hey, I'm, I'm going to be 64 years old in two weeks. You know, I've been around mm-hmm. it, I, I, I'm, but I'm not one of those guys who said, oh, you know, you just got to do it this way. No, you don't have to do it this way. You have to do it in a way that fits the model for the, for, for, the, for the time frame that you're in. And right now, it's all about projection. Why? Because people are dropping huge money based on projection. And you can't afford to be wrong. You just can't afford to be wrong. So that's why people are trying to emulate, emulate the Rays, but the Rays are doing it the Rays way, and people haven't been able to get that secret formula yet. It's like the moonshiners. You know, what, what's the uh, – What's the secret that's going to give it the kick that gives it better than everybody else's moonshine? Well, the Rays have figured that out. Well, Bill, before we get to any rule changes and some other topics, uh, let's get Tommy in here. Tom? Hi, Tommy. Uh, How are you, man? I'm doing good. Happy birthday. Happy birthday a couple (laughs) weeks early for you up there. (laughs) (laughs) We just keep keep getting older. I don't know about better, but we keep getting older. (laughs) It's hard to get old, right? It's hard to get old, but I, I think I think the race way has been you know fantastic with the what what everything's been done done with the organization and and I, I think I think for sure I mean these guys will be under great under Kevin Cash they'll be back in the World Series right now you know I'm always positive about that but I believe what Kevin Cash is a great manager I believe the Cash way or the No way you know do yeah. the Cash way you're out of there and that's I believe in these guys right now. You know, if you go through their lineup, you know, bringing Zanino back, brilliant. Mm -hmm. Why? Because he's solid. You know, solid guys play. They perform. 
Nobody looks for solid. They look for flash. But the Rays look for solid. So you put Zanino back there. You got Mejia, Kevin Smith backing him up. Choi at first base. Lau at second base. Adamas at shortstop. Wendell at third base. Those are all guys who are capable of hitting 20-plus home runs. They're right. all capable of hitting 300. And, and, and yet they're still underrated and relatively unknown in the face of baseball because they're not making big money. They're making right. the minimum. But they're producing. Exactly. Then mm-hmm. you move to the outfield. You've got a Rosarina, Kiermaier, Margot, Meadows. I mean, those are four guys who could be all-stars. So what yeah. they've done is they've taken guys who are unnoticed, given them a chance, and all of a sudden people are scratching their head and going, wow, these guys can really play. So, again, Roger, like jump said, in here, and then we'll get to the rule changes at the party before we go to Tony Lanzor. But uh, go ahead, Roger. No, it's that's okay. Go ahead, Don. Let's go to the rules, okay? Give Phil, because that's going to take a little bit of time. Go ahead. Okay, let me just em- emphasize Bill's uh, been an official scorer, obviously, for uh, how many years it's dropped now, Bill? This is 14 wow. for me, yep. 14. So you've been wow. calling meetings. You've been there, and the two things on the docket you can touch on. One, they're going to make. They're going to finally have an agreement to get a DH in the National League, or make an agreement to do whatever they want to do between the players and the owners. And number two, as Roger said, what are the new rules? Well, there's there's no new rules that are going to be implemented right now. They're still messing around with the time clock. Um, I think the only thing Kurt Schilling didn't comment on on his exit interview of 1,200 words was putting the DH in the National League. He commented on everything else. Um, so I, I think the DH is, is going to be here to stay. I, I think it has to be. I think it makes more offense. Um, I, I know pitching dominated games are purest kind of games, but people want to see runs scored. I think National League managers – are going to find out that having a DH here's a great job each year. Uh, it eliminates the double switch. It eliminates uh, any, any kind of forethought in terms of looking ahead to, to the next series. Um, we have our big scoring meeting uh, virtually this year. Gosh, we're going to have 90 guys on a Zoom call uh, four hours on Friday and four hours on Saturday. And my role in that is I do all of uh, most of the teaching aspect of it. So I'm going to be covering things like, you know, how, how do you treat the ball, the outfield that goes back on, gets turned around, gets turned around. How do you treat it when the ball gets lost in the sun? Um, what's the true definition of a two-part play? Uh, you know, we, I break it all down into body movement, hand, glove position, foot speed, exit speed of the ball off the bat versus the angle of approach from the players. So we're going to have a big weekend. And and, and what we've done over the last, uh, I guess I started doing this in 2012 in terms of the education part. And I educate like I recruited. You know, I never had scholarship money, so I had to be able to project athletes. And then I just transposed that into scoring, which has really been pretty effective. And it's kind of standardized how scorers make decisions. Um, You know, what's ordinary effort? Well, we don't know what ordinary effort is because we never played in the big leagues. But if you played in the big leagues, you know that ordinary effort is a scale of like one to 10,000. So you've got to figure out what a guy can do and what he can't do and make a decision based on the play, not based on the fact of what he could have done, should have done, would have done, because we, mm-hmm. we're amateurs. We can't say that. I can't say he should have made that play. I never played in the big leagues. If I'm going to say he should have made that play, then I made the play, but I haven't done that. 
So this is what we right. do this weekend. We kind of we, we kind of hammer all this stuff out, and we look at the uh, we, we look at the rule changes. I think maybe the the the, the pitch clock is going to be altered a little bit. Um, I think the um, I think the changes in time of decision for appeals was was a great move. Um, I think there's going to be some discussion, and I don't and I only say this because it's going to be purely discussion. It's not going to be a change, but the automated strike zone. I think it's going to be discussed. I think it's going to be looked at, but I think it's a decade away at, at, at the earliest. Um, but I think it's something that even though the home plate umpire is like 99.2% correct for the last 10 years, 99.2% accuracy, you know, everybody wants perfection. Everybody's leaning toward analytics. But I, you know, I don't see that happening. I mean, the umpires' union is strong. The umpires we have are fantastic, and I'll take ninety-nine point two percent. That point eight well, percent is one. We is got one we got Tony ready to go. So, Bill, before we wind it up, just one, just to emphasize your point before we go to Tony, and that was there was a very unusual play that took place in the World Series last year, which you explained extremely well. That throw to home plate, and uh, you talked about the fact that. How can you give an error to a guy that didn't touch the ball? <laughs> and and you uh, maybe you'd go over that once again because that was a very critical play and a very critical decision from a score a scorekeeper standpoint. Yeah, it, it's there's gosh, it's 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 hard it's hard to go back and, and, and replay it. But I think the the main point is if you're going to give somebody an error, you have to give them an error because what they did caused something else to happen for the other team. The error has to be to the benefit of the other club. If the other club doesn't benefit from what you do, then you can't score it an error. In this case, it was a bang-bang, double cut, going to throw to the plate, catcher misses the ball. Who are you gonna, well, you've got to give it to the guy who threw it. Maybe the catcher should have caught it, but here again, that's a could-have play. You can't score a could-have play. You can only score what you see, and what we saw was a throw that got by the catcher that he did not handle because he was trying to sweep tag a runner who actually wasn't there. But he didn't know that because he couldn't see him. Well, Bill, thank you once again. We'll look forward to you joining us many more times as the baseball season goes along. And we'll also see you at the top every day to see how the, the Rays are making out. But thank you for your time. Thank you, Thanks a lot, Always a pleasure. Always learn you. something. Thanks yes, so much. Well, we're going to go man. from – <laughs> We're going to go from one pro to another. Tony Leodora is going to join us right now. And remember the Philadelphia sports writers for so many years and has now moved down here into the Florida area, has his own radio show, uh, traveling golfer and his own TV show and has been associated with golf for such a long, long period of time. And we've had some sudden events uh, here, Tony, in the Sarasota area. Concessions we'll talk about. Founders we'll talk about. But before we talk about concessions, you had a you did a show out there last year for uh, a period of time, and uh, you and Paul Lazinger got into a little bit of a difference of opinion. Uh, <laughs> not me. He he wound up in a difference of opinion with Corey Pavin. I'll tell you that whole story. And good to talk to you, Don, and great to hear from Frank. And and I thank you all very much for this call tonight because. You took me away from something that was getting to the point of torture. I was forcing myself to watch the NBA, which I don't that often, <laughs> but mainly because the, the Lakers and the Sixers were playing, and it was on ESPN. 
And the announcement was so awful that all I kept thinking is, oh, for the days of Don Henderson calling Temper- Temple Basketball, <laughs> my favorite my favorite play-by-play guy. And yes. the first guy I ever worked with on a play-by, it was actually a high school football game. I did color with Don Henderson many, 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 many years ago. He went on the fame and fortune, and I went on the watching Sixers on ESPN, whatever the hell I'm doing now. Or following the world well, well, around. Well, Tony, I appreciate that very much. But set up, because it's a little, actually a little bit of a surprise of what happened going from Mexico to the concessions here in Sarasota. Yep. But the PGA's had really a strange year because they took the tournament now away from Donald Trump. They moved that. Uh, so they've had two tournaments that had a move. Uh, one because of the virus, and of course, one because of uh, a difference of opinion about uh, what uh, Donald Trump was doing and saying, and so forth. I don't want to get into the political aspect, but let's talk about Azinger and, and your show and the conversation you had with him before you tell us about concessions. Yeah, so uh, the WGC Championship, one of the World Golf Championships, is uh, you know a major turn, not a major, but a major tournament that isn't a major. So uh, it's been played in Mexico City the last few years and immensely popular down there, but they had to pull it out of there because of COVID. Uh, Big problems in Mexico City. So it looked like we were going to have our first tournament cancellation of 2021. And amazingly, the folks at the concession club here in Sarasota stepped up and in short order, put together sponsorship and, and volunteers and got, you know, got everything in order. And they're going to be playing the WGC championship at the end of February, right here in Sarasota at the concession club. For those who don't know the concession, it is a co-design of Jack Nicholas and Tony Jacklin, the one-time Ryder cup captains. And it's named after, Nicholas's famous concession of a three-foot putt on the final hole to Jacqueline to bring about a uh, tie in the Ryder Cup. Now, it wasn't as significant as some may think because the Americans had won the previous Ryder Cup, so in the event of a tie, they still retained the Ryder Cup. But it was still quite a, a sportsman-like gesture by Nicklin and Nicholas, and they got together on designing – what I consider to be, and I just played my 870th golf course the other day, what I consider wow. to be one of the top five most difficult golf courses in the, in the world. It is just the ultimate test. They don't have to do a single thing for it to hold this tournament there. It is that difficult and that well set up and that, that well maintained. So... 2012, uh, two years in a row, I brought a group of pretty good amateurs down for a competition at the concession. They stayed in the huge mansions there and played the course, and they had just opened, and they were looking for a little bit of notoriety. And we also did our Golf Talk Live radio show two years in a row from it. Hmm. Well, the 2012 show – came right after the Ryder Cup loss, a whipping 
at the hands of the Europeans. Cap and the uh, United States team was captained by Corey Pavin. Two years prior, Paul Azinger captained the U.S. team and stopped a string of victories by the Europeans by changing the entire equation of how to set up the team, how to run the team, how to practice, how to build a team. And he actually wrote a book about it, and it came out right around the time of the 2012 Ryder Cup. So we had Azinger as a guest right in the grill room at the concession Everybody's sitting around listening. And, uh, you know, one of the questions was, were you asked to confer on the 2012 Ryder Cup after your success and writing this book with a formula on how to do it, were you asked uh, by Corey Pavin? He said no. Excuse me. And somebody said, well, did you approach him? And he said no. He said, you know, if, if you're on the on the driving range and you see a guy hitting the ball sideways, you don't go up to him and say, hey, I'm Paul Asian. I mean, here's what you should do and correct your, you know, but if the guy asks you, then you give him a little help. He said, Paven never did. I never talked to him. He sat there by himself and he got, you know, they absorbed the whipping and what can I tell you? And he threw Corey Paven under the bus and that radio interview then went viral and there were stories written about it all across the country. Because, uh, you know, the captains don't usually do that. That happened at the concession club. Hmm. So, so who knows what will happen it, this year? <laughs> well, as you say, it, and uh, one thing about it, uh, not only the, the joint uh, design and, and craftsmanship of putting that thing together, as you said, one of the great courses in America, maybe great courses in the world. Uh, but the fact that they were able to, uh, most people may be listening or not golfers, don't realize uh, how, like, let's take Baldus Raw, for instance, because they, they hold many, many tournaments there. It almost takes a year in preparation. Now, you pointed out to me, which is correct, you're not going to have to worry so much about the media because of what's happening with the virus. But it takes almost a year to set up a tournament that's coming up at your club that year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And many places go undergo major preparation. Uh, for example, when the BMW Championship came to Aronimic Golf Club outside of Philadelphia last year, the year before that, they brought in Gil Hans, the uh, golf course architect, and he did a major renovation, the bunkers, everything. You know, they were closed for about eight months in order to get ready for that tournament. So, it, it, you know, it takes a lot of preparation to host a high-level tournament, yet in this particular case, they're just sort of un- <laughs> unlocking the door and letting them go, and, and it's, it's really ready. Well, I guess Mr. Casey makes the final decision. I think that's the gentleman saying, like, you, you wouldn't know much more than I, but they had the, I guess what the board of directors had to go to him, and he had to say, yeah, we're going to go ahead and do this uh, on very short notice, and it was you don't get a decision like that too quickly most of the time. No, um, you know the fact that it's a privately owned club. There's one person. It's not like it's not like an equity club where there's 300 members um, and this insurance agent is arguing with this real estate guy and you know on how to run the club. Uh, he, he has final say, and that that is uh, uh, that makes a big difference. A lot more efficient ownership. Tommy, you know, you're a golfer from day one. What do you got, Tommy? 
Well, it's it's great. It's great for Sarasota to host that tournament up there, and that. And, and I remember, I remember Dave going back, show my age here, guys. Back in '76, when we, when my club, Rowan Green, hosted the Ladies Open, there were some members were discussing about that, about you know, about where we go, we can't play golf that day. I mean, that week for the championship. I said, guys, how many times you, this club has an opportunity to host the Ladies champ, US, USGA champion for the ladies? In 1976, they all looked at me and says, "I can't play my I can't play my club." This guy's got to sacrifice that, but that was one of the greatest things for me. Yeah, to see, I played I played I played Rolling Green before uh, before the, before the tournament started. It felt so weird to play. All those ropes were set up and everything else that way, and like, oh, that was the strangest round of golf I've ever played in my life. But but congratulations goes out to Sarasota that club down there to make short notice and make it very successful of that tournament. Yeah, sometimes you, know, you have to do things for the good of the game. Yes. Right. Tony, it's Roger. I just wanted to uh, hey, uh, follow Roger. up. Like, hey, how are you? The best news we ever had was about your wife. So that's uh, God bless. The, no, uh, thank you very much. She's doing absolutely great. She had her yoga and strengthening class tonight, so she's uh, becoming a little mighty mighty. <laughs> well, that's that's wonderful Terrific. news. Hey, you know, uh, what Don was saying and, and you guys were saying about uh, planning, I look at what happened the last time when they had the Open at Marion. They built mm-hmm. new stations on the P&W, okay, to yeah. take care of it. So you're talking about a year or more, I mean, to get uh, even uh, – in that case, the tra- for people who don't know, I mean, it's the transportation – uh, system. I call it the P&W. That's what I grew up with. Of course, Norristown High Speed Line. But Don and I were talking about it during that time about because Don was out there and uh, they built the uh, they built new stations. And of course, you were in Norristown at the uh, paper all those years. So so, you yeah. know, you know. Yeah, and a lot of people took advantage of the train to get down to Marion. You know, uh, that's mm-hmm. a good point. I talk again about preparation in this post 9-11 era. The police mm-hmm. chief of Haverford Township, Carmen Petten, a good friend of mine, um, a cousin of Mike Petten, a famous football coach at Central Bucks West, um, mm-hmm. he was the chief of police. They sent him to the U.S. Open two years in a row in advance of that Open at Marion. He went out to uh, he went down to Congressional in Maryland and out to Olympic in San Francisco to view the security setup there. And they knew that this was going to be one of the most difficult, uh, sec- not only security, but traffic situations at Marion. And um, he was a superstar. They they had no problems whatsoever. They did a phenomenal job with it. But two years in advance, they're sending the chief of police out to these things. So that's, again, the amount of preparation. And, and for concession to be able to do this on – such short notice is uh, pretty miraculous, but thank goodness that we had somebody who stepped it up. Tony Leodor is our special guest this segment of the show, and uh, we've talked many times with Tony. And uh, one of the things, Tony, uh, which I was unaware of until today, uh, uh, Doug Fernandez had a terrific piece in the Herald today uh, about the uh, college uh, amateur t- uh, tournament that's going to be at the Founders. I don't know if you've had a chance to talk about that at all, but uh, they're going to try to raise, I guess, what, 250000 uh, uh Lou Holtz is going to be the primary speaker, 
and yeah. uh, they've got they've got almost every major college women's team coming into play, and uh, so again another big hit for Sarasota. Yeah, I just heard about that myself, and you know that is um, that's a great opportunity to get up close and see golf um, in a pure form, you know, without the bells and whistles of a PGA Tour event. And, uh, you know, you can learn a lot from seeing that. You see these young ladies go in there and compete the way they do. It's really a lot of fun. We've had a number of similar tournaments uh, back when I was in the Philadelphia area. And then, of course, I I ran the uh, Montgomery County Amateur Championship for 17 years. So we had women and young women and young men playing those events. And uh, and I just enjoyed watching them, you know, in – uh, a pure form, not playing for money, playing for their own personal pride and satisfaction. I mean, I saw a number of the players then go on and be, become professional golfers, but uh, it, it was really it's it's a it's a great way to see golf. I really I really suggest that for anybody who likes the game of golf to be able to go out and watch that. Of course, they're going to need some volunteers and some help, so uh, maybe some people step up for that too. That's right. Good point. That's that. Uh, when we used to have the um, uh, tournaments here at the uh, TPC, um, it uh, was very big, very big deal, and, and the, it was a senior tour. And right. uh, the preparation that went into that, uh, as far as the, the ESO was concerned, uh, that PD wasn't involved because it all it's all within the confines of the county. Um, that was tremendous, and, and uh, I'm glad that uh, Haverford did send their guy out uh, two years in a row because there are so many things that can go wrong um, that you've yeah, got to be really. prepared for. Really? Uh, so. You made a good point, you know, about when the, the, it was then the senior tour that was playing at the TPC. Back then, it was it drew a lot of attention. I mean, you had guys by the name of Nicholson Palmer and Player and mm-hmm. those people playing, it, and it was – that was a lot of fun to watch. Um, you know, I covered a lot of mm-hmm. Ben Senior Tour events, and I enjoyed them as much as the PGA Tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tony, I have I'll, to say, I'll too, you. that uh, there's, a, there's a turnover now coming into the uh, Senior Tour. Uh, they're getting a little shot in the arm now with uh, some of the guys that have really been very high in the, in the regular PGA Tour. So I think the Senior Tour is getting another shot in the arm like they did, as you said, when Palmer and those fellows jumped in for a period of time. Yeah, Mickelson, Furyk, those people. We got time for one more quick story since you mentioned the senior tour. Sure. They yeah. had the uh, they had the senior tour called the Bell Atlantic Classic at Chester Valley outside of Philadelphia. I'm going back yeah. into the late '80s. This probably was maybe 1990, and we got ready for the event. And they had all the big names, so we're there all week long doing all the advanced stories, getting ready for first round of play and Thursday morning comes the first round of play and it rains like, like a hurricane. No, no play whatsoever. So Don, you know, from the business, we've been doing advanced stories all week long. We're out of ammunition. We don't, you know, we've analyzed everything. Now what do you talk about? And we're sitting in the press room. And there were just a couple people left, and we're scratching our heads. What the heck are we going to write about? And I was there with the late, great Joe Green Day. He was president of the Golf Writers Association of America at the time. And PR guy comes in, and he, he, 
he comes up to me and Joe, and he said, hey, you guys are a couple of columnists. And I said, yeah. He said, um, if you're scratching your head for a story, uh, Lee Trevino's down in the uh, Cadillac tent, and it hasn't flooded out yet. He said, um, mm-hmm. there's a couple of us, Lee, there's a bottle of Crown Royal, and uh, you feel like coming down, maybe you might scratch up a story. So we went down there and and uh, we had the Crown Royal on ourselves. Torino never drinks, never, never, never drank. But uh, I think we went in and we and he was he was bored too. He didn't have anything to do. <laughs> we, we might have asked one question. An hour and a half later, he stopped. He went from one story to another to another to another. <laughs> And he saved the day for a couple of columnists that had nothing at all to write about that day. We went in, and and, and it was just one of the great things. I'll I'll never forget that, that uh, Torino did. I know he ran hot and cold. You you knew you you had to give him uh, a little bit of space on certain days. But, uh, man, that day, he he was a hero. You know, Tony, I'll tell you, I I enjoyed uh, when talking about when you go to other tournaments, you know, young people. I enjoyed uh, covering uh, the women's tournament, McDonald's Classic, down at Seaview for a number of years. And I'll tell you, that that was an enjoyable experience every year. Yeah, uh, they they had two great tournaments in the area, the ShopRite LPGA Classic at Seaview Resort in Atlantic City and the McDonald's. LPGA championship for many years at DuPont Country Club. Right. The entire right. state of but, Delaware but, came out for that one. Oh, what crowd! But Tony, wasn't I, I? I never understood what happened because the the PGA the LPGA tournament was in Philly first, and then it went to DuPont, and then it went down yeah. to to uh, the shore. I, I never knew it what was, happened that it, it left Philadelphia. Yeah, it was a it was at White Manor Country Club in uh, right, South right. Melbourne, and uh, it was it was uh, relatively successful, but the membership wasn't crazy about having it. Dupont had a couple courses, so they could you know afford to use lose one of them. And the main right. thing was, uh, it, it became a championship. At when it was at White Manor, it was the McDonald's championship, but it wasn't a major. When it went to uh, DuPont, you know, it was because they had decided to designate it as the LPGA championship, a major, uh, still leaving leaving the McDonald's sponsor on there. And they knew that as a major championship, they were going to need more space and more access and more parking than they really had at White Manor. So it was a win-win on both situations. The White Matter members were tired of losing their course, and, and the DuPont people had, uh, as I said, three courses. So they they still had courses in play, and they just uh, used that one. And it was a huge crowd. The biggest crowds I ever saw for a um, LPGA event until they had the Women's Open Championship at – Lancaster Country Club about four or five years ago, uh, and that was just stunning how that region came out for that tournament. They were oh, huge crowds. But Donna Shuler, I think, was a big factor, too. She did everything in the world to try to help the tour. And, and the other thing was, Tony, 
when they go to Seaview, they play on the Bay Course. They don't play in, uh, you know, the the uh, which I think is a little bit easier to tell you the truth than uh, than the main course. The the uh, Pines Course, yeah. I mean, uh, it it yes and no. Um, it's easier unless the wind is up. If the wind's up on the Bay Course, which it is a lot of times, all of a sudden it turns into a little mini brute. It's uh, so it's it, it it depends on the weather conditions. Pines, of course, are so tree covered that if if it is windy, it's not as much of an effect. But um, yeah, two pretty good courses at a at a great old resort that's been around for many many years. Yeah, and it's changed over now because Stockton College took over a good portion of it. Uh, they were running a part of a culinary school there for a bit, and then Marriott got involved. They uh, they're part of it now. Uh, it's still a great, uh, boy, I'll tell you, what a great place to go for a few days and, and spend a little time and if you like to play golf. But even if you like to play golf, I mean, you're, what, 20 minutes away from the casinos in Atlantic City. Uh, you got everything right at your at your fingertips in either AC or there at Seaview. Uh, it's still a great place. Uh, it really is. It's a, f- a fun place to go. People down here in Florida want to get out of the heat in the middle of the summer, July or August. Fly Spirit right up into Atlantic City Airport. <laughs> Easy trip, good prices. Stay at Seaview Resort, little casinos. I mean, you're in you're in the lap of luxury staying there. The rooms are phenomenal. They just redid the entire hotel, and right. um, it's 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 a it's a great place. It really is. Tony, before Tony, we let I'm... you go, uh, maybe one more. T- uh, Tommy, you got another question or, or Roger? And then uh, we'll let uh, Tony sort of sum it all up. Yeah. I, I just <laughs> wanted, you know, uh, I listened to his show, uh, you know, and you can uh, hear it uh, on uh, WNTP uh, 990 in, in Philly. And uh, I know he's, what is it, WOND, I think, at the shore. Uh, yeah. But I'll tell you, Tony, you know, uh, not to change subjects, but you were covering the uh, Eagles for many years. And uh, there's there's so much controversy now with the new coach, and he's not hiring any anybody except he's keeping the offensive line coach, but he's not hiring anybody but his buddies that nobody knows who these assistants are. And um, it was so funny. Les Bowen had a great uh, point the other day on the uh, uh, WIP morning show. And and you can remember this, and Don, and we all can remember it. They were talking about how long it took to pick a coach, okay, the new coach. And then Les right. said he was covering hockey when the uh, uh, co-tight was picked, and it took mm-hmm. like 32 or 34 days between when they fired uh, and and hired co-tight. And uh, and and Les said, I had no idea what you guys did for 32 days trying to follow <laughs> about the selection of the coach. Came up uh, with co-type. Oh, brother, all that. Yeah, came up like, with co-type, right. But, well, you Tony, know, you were there, as Roger indicated. I, I'll tell you one thing. I, when, when, when we start – you know, started to follow the Eagles, and uh, you know we're a little older than most of the people probably were listening. But uh, I mean, if you had three or four coaches, <laughs> you, you had a lot. Yeah. Boy, oh boy! Now seventeen. You go to Alabama; he's got seventeen coaches. 
in a college game. I mean, it is incredible what's going on. Yeah. Well, a lot of money. Give these people jobs. <laughs> yeah, right. Hey, listen, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not really a new thing, though, to surround yourself with your own people. You remember when Dick Vermeil came in? Right. Yeah. He wanted his guys in there. He he brought yeah. all his own people in. So it, it, yeah. it happens. Mm-hmm. Carl Peterson went along with him. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Tony, thank you. Thank you very, very much. Tony, and, uh, it's always great to talk to you, Tony. Thanks, Tony. It was great to talk to all you guys. I mean, this is uh, this is one of the great full session shows of, in, in the entire country. You guys do a great job. And I just feel like I'm sitting at the bar with all my buddies talking over the uh, game. If, if I can only figure who's going to win the Super Bowl and cover the spread, I'll be in great shape. Uh oh. <laughs> this, this is this is Cheers, not in Boston, but it's Sarasota. That's right. That's right. Well, Tony, thank you so very, very Take much. Care. I'll God tell you, I appreciate all your time. It was it, We had a little difficulty last week because of technical problems, but we got it all together tonight. You explained concessions. You explained the Founders Club. You explained the uh, young women. We talked about the LPGA. We we sort of touched on a lot of golf, and uh, I'll tell you, it, it's, it's one of the great sports and a lot of fun, and uh, nobody knows more about it than you do. So thank you so very much for being with us. Thanks again, guys. Y'all take care. Tony, take care. Take care. Hey, hey, Don, uh, before we go any further, I meant to do this when uh, Bill was on. Uh, You know, uh, Hank Aaron died uh, last last week. You know, and, of course, uh, it's been uh, a lot of TV here and everything. And I, I, uh, the other day, uh, I sent a a message out to a friend of mine, what I remember. I was working in Center City, uh, uh, the mobile credit card center, and it was either 67 or 69 uh, because in 68 I was on active duty in the Navy, so I was in D.C. So anyway, I would walk up Broad Street past the Bellevue Stratford, and that's where the Braves stayed. And I guess a lot of teams stayed there. And uh, I would go over to Reading Terminal to get the train to go up to Fox Chase. And I can remember one night, uh, going past there and Hank Aaron was sitting on the wall waiting for the bus with some other players and nobody was stopping to get autographs Ooh. and that shows you the way it everything has changed I mean that's just one good indication you know over the years right. with collectors and everything else and what a class act he was and I was sitting in the upper stands in the bleachers at Connie Mack Stadium one night, and he hit a home run. Not, I mean, I didn't get it, but I never saw a ball come out of, of the uh, uh, home plate on a hit, a home run so fast in my life as that shot that Henry Aaron. And you think about what he went through all those years uh, with the abuse and then try, uh, going after Babe Ruth's record, and he kept right. every threatening letter that he ever got. But rest right. in peace, Aaron, because I'll tell you, you were a gentleman and a asset to the uh, game of baseball. That's all I can say. Hunter, we were hey, a little bit fortunate. Uh, I know Frank will talk about it probably as much as anybody because uh, even though you're in Atlanta right now, uh, you know, when the Braves moved their complex down here, they moved out of Orlando and came down here, and actually uh, the opening was last year. 
and Henry came down for the opening. And uh, so we had a chance to to actually see him very, very late in his life. Uh, right. He's the same age I am. He's 86, he was 86. Uh, so he was at that time 85 years old. And uh, But he spent a few days. He, he opened the complex down there. Uh, Frank, you probably had a chance to, uh, uh, with some of your people there from a protection standpoint, you probably had a chance to uh, see what was going on and, and how well it was organized and how well the Braves have uh, brought baseball here to Florida. Yeah, we had uh, Lieutenant John Koss, who's head of our was head of our uh, internal security uh, down there with his group, and uh, they did a fantastic job of uh, of protecting everybody and the property. <clears throat> I have a more of a, a personal note. Um, back when uh, we lived in Philly. Uh, we were supposed to go take my son thought the world Bobby thought the world of Hank Aaron. <clears throat> we were supposed to take him up and, and to the game and um I was able to get going to be able to take him down on the field and, and go in and introduce him. Well lo and behold Bobby gets violently ill uh the day of the game, uh has to be admitted to the hospital. So I talked to one of the guys that was on on the uh, squad and I asked him uh just to tell him, you know, that uh, he makes my son very happy. Within a week and a half, Bobby got a personal letter uh, signed by Hank Aaron uh, telling me sorry he missed him and uh, that he really wanted to uh, to get a chance to meet a, a fan like him, and he sent him a couple of his uh, baseball cards. So I will never oh, forget Mr. Aaron. Oh, that well, I mean, just great stories about that man. You know? Oh, absolutely! And, uh, I'll tell you, the only guy that I think uh, even was uh, even had as much difficulty, but uh, was Ernie Banks because he was the same way. I mean, he, right. you know, there was uh, Henry Aaron was a gentleman. I mean, he, everything he did was uh, yep. to benefit other people, not himself, mm-hmm. but to benefit mm-hmm. other people. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a great story he told today that I saw, and uh, you may all have seen it. He had a contract with the Giants, and he was ready to sign it, but the Braves gave him $50 a week more. And he signed with the Braves, for he and Willie Mays would have been in the same outfield. Oh, cool. wow. wow. Isn't that amazing? There's a little bit of something that's not exactly correct about that, Roger. It wasn't that hey, he didn't sign it. It was that the Indianapolis Clowns wouldn't sell him because of the $60. Well, that's not what I read here. Yeah, but if you read his autobiography, he tells it a little bit different. Okay. So you're saying that the media is massaging the story now. Just, a, I think they're massaging it just a wee bit. It, there was a little bit in there about because uh, he was playing for the Indianapolis Clowns at the time, and that was how they yeah. survived post. Uh, uh, um, that was how they survived post Jackie Robinson. You know, the Negro League players were was essentially a farm system, and the way they stayed right. in business was selling players, and they had the yeah. opportunity. And he was a little bit scared of going to New York as well. Mike, let me just say, because we've got somebody else that jumped in here. I didn't know Mike was ready to go. And uh, Mike Simchuk with us, and he scores with us every week, uh, talks about things in Washington and Baltimore, uh, whether it's the hockey, whether it's football, whatever it may be, uh, baseball. And 
but most of all, he's a, a, a real soccer guy, has covered it for a long period of time. And uh, see, I, I just want to introduce who who was talking because nobody would know who was listening by your voice. Go ahead. Well, uh, thank you for the inf- information. I got some bad news the, uh, last night. Apparently, I wasn't elected to the Hall of Fame, the Baseball Hall of Fame. So I want my name taken off the ballot. Right. Uh, do you have a drug problem? Um, I'm not quite sure what the problem it was. Uh, I think it could be the fact that I had no discernible average or skill. <laughs> well, you know, they're talking about now having a, a separate wing at the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame for, what is it, the PP uh, players. You I know, wonder Mike, if, gonna, if the blueprints are going to look like a syringe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen, I'm glad you clarified that about the Indianapolis Clowns and uh, and Henry Aaron. And uh, I guess it was the, uh, the the they wouldn't release him, but the Giants probably presented him a contract, and then the Braves went $50 a week higher. I guess that's how the Yeah, that, that, that was kind of what it was. Um, although one of the things that he did say was um, that, uh, he he thought they might have made – there were some escalator clauses, so if he had played as well as he did, um, the owner of the Clowns would have made a lot more money. But uh, mm. you got to remember, Hank Aaron at, 18, at 17, 18 years old wasn't a particularly big kid. He was a second mm. baseman, and he was really, really skinny, and he's bat, um, he brat, batted cross-handed, actually. And mm. – uh, a lot of people don't know that, and he batted cross-handed. He said he learned his eye-hand coordination um, whacking crab apples with a broom. Mm-hmm. And well, so you know, he grew up in Mobile. I'll yeah. tell you one thing, fellas. He was very fortunate. The Braves gave that extra fifty dollars because he had a chance to play with Joe Atkins. And uh, <laughs> he, 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 they have five players on that team that he played with are in the Hall of Fame. Matthews yeah. at third base. I mean, they they had, they had players. Boy, Del Crandall behind the plate. They, he was with a great, great organization at that time. And, and Spawn is saying to pray for Reed and uh, Lou Brudette. Oh, my God. Bob Buell. And Red, Red Shandings came over from the Cardinals to the Braves. Red Shandings. He? he was the one that made him a champion. They, they couldn't win until yeah. he got there to play second base. No, he, it was a great, a great team. And, uh, they were talking about the guy that really turned the uh, team around in the 70s, uh, and that was Billy L- Bill Lucas, who died young in his 40s, and he was the brother of uh, Hank Aaron's first wife, and they had five kids, and then he married uh, Billy. He's married many years to her, and she was on TV uh, back in the uh, 70s. I remember her on TV when we lived here back in the 70s. So, uh, but uh, just you know, a class act. And uh, I'll tell you, Mike, uh, soccer, uh, the MLS will be getting underway, I guess, in uh, Florida within the next few weeks, right, in training? Uh, you, you know, uh, we'd like to think so, but uh, I would hold off on that for a little bit mm-hmm. because the owners uh, voided the collective bargaining agreement. Uh, the players yeah. agreed to a collective bargaining agreement right before the season – and because mm-hmm. of the uh, because of COVID, they were never actually able to sign it. So they mm-hmm. renegotiated something, and the owners put a force majeure clause in there, which they then activated this year to void 
the collective bargaining agreement. So they just sent out a memo today to all the MLS owners uh, notifying them to prepare for a work stoppage. Oh, boy. Really? Well, wow. that's one thing they don't need. They don't need Nothing another interruption. Else. They had a tough enough time last year when they had to you know, put together a special season and, and to play it down here in Florida. And, it was, and, you know, they don't need another stoppage like that. They, they, they've got no, to keep this. And I think it's going to be really hard because the players got a number of concessions that the owners have steadily rolled back and they're looking to make some really deep salary cuts ostensibly because of COVID. And like, it's, it's real. Um, They, they estimate that uh, the biggest soccer clubs in the world are going to lose in the neighborhood of 2.3 billion this year. So you can imagine what it's doing to a league like MLS, but still, um, the players, I think, would be willing to negotiate some sort of relief short term, but with the expectation that we're going to be back and to full swing sometime in the summer, maybe you know at least by the the uh, twenty uh, twenty two season, you know they're going to look to recover a lot, and, uh, and so it's going to be interesting to see how these negotiations go and how long they take. Because I don't think either side really wants a work stoppage. Well, I'll be honest with you. I did. I had not seen that. There hasn't been much written in the paper about that. This just happened uh, today. Yeah, I just got an alert uh, around eleven o'clock noon today that uh, hmm. MLS had notified the teams to be prepared for a work stoppage. Yeah, because I hadn't seen anything about that releases. But I have. I'll be honest with you. I haven't looked at all my email because I was busy all day and I, and it could have come in this morning, you know, late this morning and I haven't picked it up as yet. I don't know if I put a press release out about the MLS notifying me to be prepared for a work stoppage stuff. Mike, let's switch over to hockey for a minute because we'll get Tommy and uh, you together because the lightning have gotten off to a relatively good start and, uh, your Washington Capitals down there—they've uh, gotten off to a half decent start. So give us a little, give us a little uh, the early going for Washington. Well, um, they're on a pretty decent run. I mean, you know, seven games played and they've taken a point in all seven of them. So right. Four wins, three overtime losses, taking a point, leading the uh, Eastern Conference, Eastern Division, whatever you want to call it. Uh, mm-hmm. They're playing well, and they got a big win over the uh, New York Islanders yesterday. Last night. They were down a number of, of, of star players, you know, um, for, through COVID protocols, injuries. I think, that, you know, Ovechkin's missed some time. Um, Backstrom was out last – ended up last night. He didn't finish the game. Uh, one thing that they do have was – uh, they started off the season with uh, Samsonov in goal, and it was kind of like he was the anointed one as the re- replacement for Holtby. But this kid, uh, Vitek Vanacek, that they like, Vitek, uh, I think Vanacek is the, uh, playing the last couple of games, and it's really a competition for the number one goalkeeper. And Vanacek may have the edge. You know, Samsonov had the issue last year with the ATV that caused him to miss the playoffs. And uh, I think that really cost him in the long run, especially when you, you, you look at how uh, the, te- the team and the new coaching staff that was coming in. But they're playing really well, Tommy. Well, Tommy, you're, uh, you're, you're lightly got off to a half deep, but 
they had a little tough time at Columbus. Columbus, I tell you, he he knows how to coach. They win. They somehow they find a way to win. That's great coach. I mean, you know, with with the way the Lightning's been playing right now, I mean, they they missed the two games versus Dallas because of COVID and, and the Texas right now. Now we're in we're in Carolina tomorrow night. We're returning home on Saturday night versus Nashville and Monday night versus Nashville. So the way they've been playing, I mean, everybody's got to step up and. Sam Coast is playing great hockey, Mikey. Back to Sam Coast before he got hurt. As I still say this is Brendan Point's team and Victor Hedman's team. Victor's playing great on the fence. Babaleski had laid a egg the other day in Columbus, but but you got to expect that. You know, as I, I I got confidence in him now. You got to expect what he's got to what he's got to come through right now. I, I believe him 100. percent And you know, it's just you know the season right right now is I don't like the season way it's laid out, Mike. We can't see Washington. We can't see the Rangers. Or the Allies. We're stuck with Nashville, Carolina, of course the Panthers, and of course, of course Detroit. So it's you know you, we got to win the you know for both teams, Washington and Tampa Bay. You've got to win these games early right now. Like I said before, you win the game early, you don't have to worry about them toward the end of the season right now. So yeah, yeah and like the games in the second half of the season or whenever that is, um, right. they're going to come pretty fast. Uh, you know, it's hard. I, 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 uh, I've said on this show many years, I, I don't really make any um, big deal about uh, hockey and in, in what happens until kind of after the Super Bowl. So I may mm-hmm. push that back until I may not even, until at least after Valentine's Day this year. Right. Well, let's get a last question in for you because uh, Doug's sitting by to talk a little bit here too, and, and he's in the same area you are, but. Uh, Roger, you want a last question for for Mike? The uh, what's it look like uh, with the changes in the uh, Redskins uh, hierarchy, Mike? I know uh, Ron Rivera is putting his stamp uh, uh, on the uh, general manager and the assistant and everything. Uh, what, what's the fandom think about all this? Uh, the fandom's not really a hundred percent sure what to think, and I think what we've all landed on is that. Ron Rivera doesn't have the bandwidth to deal with the day-to-day as far as negotiating salaries and, and contracts and worrying about the salary cap and things like that. So he got some guys that he trusted to come in and take care of that for him. But when it comes to the roster, the draft, um, free agency, things like that, it's Ron Rivera's team, right? Uh, what's going to be real interesting to watch develop is the quarterback situation here. You've heard the Redskins rumored to be trading for just about any quarterback that might be available from, uh, from, you know, Deshaun Watson to the ghost of Burt Reynolds from longest yard. Um, well, you can also look at it, the Los Angeles Rams right now, because he looks like he's going to be on the market. Yeah, oh, so yes. anybody under the sun, and it'll be, be interesting to see how whether or not uh, they make a move, uh, whether or not um, Ron Rivera feels like, okay, you know, it's worth it to give up the draft capital that they would need to give up to move to get one of these because none of them are really particularly going to come cheap. And it'll really speak to where – how much control Ron has? Well, Watson, Watson already lot. said he wants to, he wants to go to the Jets. He's got everybody he's got everybody in his corner to try to get the Jets to 
to make a move in his direction. I don't know whether they'll do it or not, but that's what they're trying. I, I don't. I, I can understand wanting to go to New York and play, but if you want to go to New York and play, you go and play for the Giants. It's not like the Jets have been <laughs> a pretty more no. franchise for a long time. You want to talk no, about? He's not going to get. He's not going to get with the Giants, but he wants. He wants to. He wants to go with the Jets. He's uh, he's got all those guys putting his their oar in the water. Mike, we got to make a run. Thank you very much. We'll chat with you next week. All right. Doug Hamilton care. is is standing by and has been for the last two or three minutes. And uh, mm-hmm. so, Doug, uh, first of all, uh, how are you spending your time today? <laughs> well, um, you know, I was looking forward to this call. I mean, I know that uh, over the course of time, you know, Frank has mentioned that there's uh, anywhere between 200 and 270,000 listeners. So we can, we can utilize this potentially as a job interview. If you want to, Um, there has to be somebody out there that would, that could utilize my services um, either in the business world or otherwise. So, um, you know, it's, it's been a rough couple of weeks, brother. I think that, uh, you know, um, I'm very proud of uh, being a PGA professional and all the work. Uh, that I put into obtaining that, um, you know, and to spend 16 years um, at a facility, you know, I can tell you that that facility is a better place now than, than when I took over, um, you know, so I'm very proud. And I know that it's been nice uh, that, that a lot of my members have uh, reached out to me via text, email, or, or phone call. Um, and I think that's probably what I'll miss about the place the most is um, the people. The, the people, the relationships, the, the camaraderie, um, right. the witty banner, the, the different things. I mean, I, I know that I've, I've helped an awful lot of people with their golf games. I know that I made uh, that facility an awful lot of money. Um, you know, I just, I was telling Frank when he patched me in, I mean, it's, it's hard not to be bitter, um, you know, to a place that, um, you know, just says goodbye with no reason. And, um, mm. You know, you know, just in my opinion, doesn't take care of their uh, their employees the correct way. Uh, so well, let me let uh, me just let me just let me just interrupt you for one second because you got yeah. a, you got a parallel with the Baltimore Orioles. They just dumped one of the great baseball broadcasters in in baseball. In fact, they jumped too. Yeah. They jumped Jim mm-hmm. Hunter too. Mm. Jim Hunter. Yeah. Yeah. Jim Hunter was Jim. Both both their, their broadcasters were fired. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're kidding, Jim! Well, we—I'll I'll tell you what else. I don't know whether you uh, you saw. Uh, first of all, I wanted to tell you, Doug. Uh, I'm I'm praying for you and and uh, you know working, uh, trying to do anything mm-hmm. I can do uh, to help. Yeah. I just found out yesterday that the Golf Channel is no longer in Orlando. They moved mm-hmm. it to Stamford, Connecticut, where NBC Sports is. And Tommy, yeah. I don't know if you thought or not, but you're going to be shocked with this. NBC has already uh, sent out to all the cable, direct TV, all the franchise or all the operations. The NBC Sports Network will cease operation the end of the year. Mm-hmm. That's right. So I saw now, that last now, week. Yeah, the NHL now, they have a contract. They're going to have to find new homes that a lot of it's mm-hmm. going to go into the USA network. Okay. Well, but the golf channel is stable and they're going to, uh, but they're now uh, up in Stanford, Connecticut, where all the mm-hmm. NBC sports is. 
So wow. it's, it's, and I'll tell you, Comcast has the uh, has screwed up NBC so bad. Uh, and and you know you've seen articles before about NBC Sports Philly, how great it was when it was Comcast Sportsnet. Okay, right. now all it is is showing the Mike Missinelli show all afternoon. Mm. Uh, you know, very little new content. And Don, you know mm. this. You saw it all uh, when you were at the shore. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, pre-, pre and post game shows. Okay, for the uh, games. That's it. You know, of new content. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah. There's, I'll tell you, there's none of that. But there's such little loyalty right now. I mean, you, uh, listen, none, Roger, you none. and I have been through it. I, I was hired and fired a hundred times. I, I, I don't mean fired necessarily, but if you bring in a new general manager, he has a new concept of what he wants to do. But the, only good, what, the only good fortune that happened to me was when I left CAU the first time, it was because they wanted to go all news, so I went to another station. Then when he decided to go back into sports, they called me up and brought me back again. Same thing uh-huh. when I worked for, for Channel 29, uh, doing the Philly things and that. And uh, they uh, had a change in in, uh, in ownership. And then they called me back again when they moved down to Market Street. <laughs> so I always left on good on, on good good relations. Uh-huh. But you, you never know. You walk in one day and they say, yep. "Thank you very much. You could be here ten years or fifteen years." Right. That's the way it is. Well, you know, John, you're you're a hundred percent right. I mean, I I think that's obviously what was my downfall was a was a new GM and. Um, you know, I, I don't know what his issue was. Um, I wasn't aware of anything until, you know, the, the day that he he said goodbye to me two Saturdays ago. So, um, oh. you know, there was, there was no review, there was no warning, there was no, you know, anything. And, 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 you know, uh, Roger, to your point, I mean, you know, a, a lot of companies are, are downsizing obviously and, and furloughing and, and, and the COVID and, and, you know, has taken its, its grip upon people. So, you know, right now is not exactly a wonderful time to, to seek a job. Um, you know, so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard concept. I mean, I know that I'm certainly not the only person that's ever been let go and, and, uh, certainly won't be the last. Um, but you know, the, I think the, the, the mental, you know, portions of that, I think are very difficult to, you know, to move forward with, um, because I think it's I an, agree with you more about that. It's a tough, well, it's, that's that's really it's the tough part. Getting over the first two or three weeks emotionally, you're yep. you're used to going to work every day, and now you're not doing yep. it. Uh, I couldn't yep. agree with you more. It's, uh, that's that's the most well, difficult part. But then, and when you land on your feet, you start all over again. You're 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 tickled pink. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. You know, I think that um, you know at this point in time, I mean, I have the ability to you know change the trajectory of my life uh, with a an opportunity that presents itself at some point in time, and. I'd like to think that, you know, in, in the real world of business, that there's someone that values, you know, dedication, loyalty, hard work, personality, and, and a lot of the things that I know that I've exemplified over my 16 and, and even 25-year career as a as a PGA professional at this point. Um, it's just a matter of getting in front of the right person or, or finding that opportunity, um, you know, to – I mean, look, at the end of the day, you know, if you're in business to do business and make money, I can – I can certainly help with that because I've made plenty uh, for that organization. So, um, you know, that's certainly not an issue, um, you know, um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty mentally challenging at this particular point in time to, right. You know, um, well, just that, go that, through the, you know, you know, where flowery branch, you know, George is obviously you've been yeah. there. 
Okay, yeah. and you know the mayor, Mike Miller of uh, Flowery Branch, is a PGA professional, and, <laughs> and he's been a couple of clubs, uh, mm-hmm. you know, down in the area. I got to call him yeah. to see if he has any contacts for you. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, I thought uh-huh. about that because the sure. the other thing, the uh, it's networking, you know, and you, yep. you've had a lot of positive responses from members. Okay, yeah, right. The uh, that word gets out, and you'll never know. I look at it as one door closes, another sure. one opens. Okay, yeah, and I mean, it takes, like Don said, it takes a little bit of time sometimes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I just, um, you know, I, I know that in, in, you know, I don't want to get into too much detail, but in most cases, uh, when someone spends, you know, 16 years, you know, somewhere, I think that, you know, w- when they move on, if it's by their own choice, that's one thing. But if it's not, typically there's, you know, some version of of compensation that comes with it. Um, you know that that uh, that's that's the hard part here is obviously trying to figure out what what to do. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, hopefully the the stimulus package takes its its grips and and we get to the four hundred dollar you know bonus on top of you know and in terms of the unemployment status. But um, mm. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, Roger. I mean, I know that I've spent, um, you know, the last week or so just trying to, you know, go backwards in time to a lot of the individuals, PGA professionals, members, friends, family, um, just different connections that I've made on LinkedIn and, and otherwise, um, you know, just to kind of shake the tree and kind of see what happens. Because I think at the end of the day, you know, one of the main attractions for me to get into uh, the golf industry to start was, you know, obviously my love of sports, my love of the game. And I'd like to stay somewhere in the sporting world if I can, because it's always been a passion of mine. I've always played sports. Um, You know, that's all we ever did. I mean, and I know certainly I haven't taken it to the level that you guys have in your professional careers in terms of broadcasting and, and, you know, whether it's newscasting or or whatever. Um, But I mean, I feel like I've been pretty knowledgeable over the course of time, uh, that I've been on the show, and I've also learned an awful lot from you guys, um, you know, You've in the midst of you. it. So, you know, so, I mean, I well, can't say that I can sit here and... You, you, you know what it's like to have a health issue, and you've got your health now, and that's yeah. the important thing. The other thing right. is the golf season up there is coming up. So yeah. it's, it's... But I agree with you about the way you got treated, okay? Yeah. And, oh. But I think oh. back to Dan Baker when he was uh, doing the PA for the Eagles for 29 years mm-hmm. and he got, gets a call, your services are no longer needed. Right. Yeah. And, oh. and he asked for one more to, to get 30. Now, granted, I mean, he's, uh, he's going to be hitting 50 with the Phillies, but the thing mm-hmm. is, I know how he felt and he mm-hmm. felt hey, and he handled it professionally just like you. Okay, and then what happened is all of a sudden, of course, now with the pandemic, things change, but uh, all of a sudden, a lot of avenues opened up. He started doing every game at Xfinity Live, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, doing the same thing in Xfinity Live as he was doing in the stadium, PA. So, you know, I just know that things will pick up and and, uh, uh, at least you're going into the season and it's not at the end of the season. Right. Well, I mean, I'd also, yes, I'd also no. suggest because of uh, because of time that we spent together over the last four or five years, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's quite a there's quite a turnover right now in the Baltimore area as far as uh, radio and television. As I said, when mm-hmm. you 
when you lose two broadcasters like the Orioles have, um, mm-hmm. there's, there's a big turnover in Baltimore. I guess because of uh, you know the numbers of dollars coming in. But sure. uh, I I think you should also think about you know just investigate what's going on sports wise in the radio stations mm-hmm. and television stations in the Baltimore area because uh, you certainly have all the background in the world to uh, step right. in and. and and do something on the on the radio or TV side, uh, mm-hmm. you know. And and uh, I, I would not, you know, I would not eliminate that from your from your, you know, looking around. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that um, I, I've always looked forward to um, engaging with you guys um, in this fashion in terms of the show. And you know, I, I think the coolest part about this show is that it's unscripted. You know, so it's not like I know you know, what potential, I have a, a broad spectrum, but I don't know exactly what questions or topics are going to be asked. And it's helped me kind of think on my feet over the course of time that I've been on here. Um, you know, and just y- y- when you listen to somebody and, you know, whether it's, you know, on TV or the radio or whatever, I mean, there are just certain people uh, that pretty much command, you know, your interest level um, and, and listening to certain people over the course of time, I always thought, you know, John Miller with the Orioles was great. And I mean, we could name, you know, countless individuals that made uh, listening to baseball or football or basketball or any other sport um, so much better just because of the way they did it. Um, you know, I mean, I, I wouldn't mind having my own, you know, talk radio show. I mean, I think that there's a multitude of, of things that, you know, that could that's, be covered. That's my point. That's my point. I, you, I, you win and, and, you know, you have a, a background now where you can say, look, uh, you get an interview, and, and, and I'd be glad to talk. Roger would be glad to talk. Frank would be glad to talk. Yeah. Tommy would be glad to talk. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, to talk about the capabilities right. and the versatility that we've gone through for the last four or five years. Sure. And uh, you know, you get your foot in the door, and we'll push yeah. it for you. All right. Be well. Well, I mean, and that's the big thing is, like I said, I mean, there has to be someone. You know, whether you know them uh, or they're listening to the show or they know somebody uh, that would have to at least say, you know what, let's let's see. Let's just give this guy a chance and see what he can do. And and, and I think that would be wonderful. I mean, there's nothing better in this world. And I can tell you for, gosh, probably the better part of at least 10 years that I worked um, out of the 16 at the country club. I think, you know, I just really was excited about going to work every day and, 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 and just, you know, helping the juniors and lessons and, and, and you know, just the interface between myself and, and people and, you know, the member relations and customer and, and just all that was so fun for me. And I can't tell you how much, you know, that meant to me and, and how much I grew up over the years uh, right. with, with all the experience of all those individuals and how much it's taught where me. Did the new GM, where did the new GM come from? Well, the the owner of the club, um, there's a there's a, a sister property um, actually a little bit closer to me here. Uh, that's a resort um, that um, he was the food and beverage uh, manager and ran all the restaurants. And you know, I just I don't know what his agenda was or what his marching orders were coming into the facility, but you know, he let me be for the better part of a year, and then all of a sudden, you know, something changed. Uh, probably around December. And, you know, he started to try to, you know, mess with, you know, my schedule and, um, oh. you know, just different things to try to make it hard on me. And I don't think he, I think he underestimated me because it's like I always say, you know, when you go through Navy SEAL training, not that I ever have, but 
the only way you can get out of it is to ring the bell. And I was never going to ring that bell. You know, I was never going to tap out. And, you know, the, the fun came, you know, with a couple, you know, menial write-ups and those sorts of things that I think he was trying to build a case against me. And then all of a sudden I think he just realized, let's just do something different and go in a different direction and, and remove the guy, um, you know, without cause, without warning. Maybe I was a threat because of the uh, rapport that I had with, you know, all of the members who really loved me as a, as a professional. And, you know, um, unfortunately it's not a member owned club, so it's nothing they can really do about it. Um, you know, in terms of, of recourse, um, but you know, whatever. I mean, one one of these days I'm going to wake up and and you know, like you said, I mean, I'm I'm going to continue to network and I'm going to continue to pound on doors and and eventually something will shake free and and you know I'll figure something out here. Um, well, listen, you know, I, and I, I have... just went online Doug, to WBAL Radio. There's yeah. jobs there, uh, and and they uh, they're looking for a profile. And like Don said, you have a lot of talent, and you know it could be it could do a golf show, okay, right. on uh, on the weekends. But sure. go on on that line and it go to Hearst. Okay. Uh, but I just did, and and uh, uh, it breaks it down, and and uh, you can take at least that that'll okay. be something that uh, follow up with what Don said for you. Yeah, real quick. for sure. Yeah, uh, if you get in for an interview and talk to somebody, why well, you know Roger can call, I can call, Frank can call. Yeah. And, sure. uh, and and talk about all the things that we've done over the last four or five years yes. and the versatility yeah. that you bring to the table. You know, not only Absolutely. golf, but also National Football League and baseball. It's not yeah. just a one-sport operation. For sure. Mm-hmm. I can give you some good losers in the third race at Laurel, too. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Well, the th- the thing is that uh, the they you can there. I mean, it, it, well, Don will tell you. There's always a hundred people that'll uh, w- want to want a job in radio for free. Okay. Yeah. And don't quit your don't quit your day job. I mean, Don always right. said that, and I was fortunate right. that I had a good day job. Okay, when I was mm-hmm. given the opportunity. But uh, sure. I've always liked BAL and CBM. I used to listen to it on my way you know, down to D.C. and Virginia all the time. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Hearst has a good uh, reputation, okay, mm-hmm. because I know a woman that works at her, uh, the Hearst Channel. I've known her for many years. haven't talked to her in a while up in Boston at WCVB. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just a start, but at least – and the other thing is don't be afraid to go out and sell because as a right. golf pro, you're selling. Let's face sure. it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, 100%. That's right. That's, you know, so, yeah, I'm working through, um, you know, redoing the resume and, and, uh, you know, just as soon as I can come up with that, I've, I've, uh, you know, asked, you know, for some help in terms of modernizing, if you will, my resume. And once I get that square, I've got an awful lot of people that have asked me for it. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll get some opportunities and then we'll take a look at those opportunities and see, you know, what might be the best one. And, um, Absolutely. I'm a free agent at this point, and I know that I can help there somebody. So, to put us down. Hey, listen, we're that. all free agents. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm out. Uh, I'm out hawking eyewear again. Free, Roger. Okay. Right. That's right. It's an emphasis on that free, Doug. <laughs> well, that's right. right. You got to remember that 
when when Roger was working for one of the companies he worked for, they gave him got him such a big pension that he doesn't even have to worry anymore because Oh yeah, right. Right. They, right. they took care they took care of him. I I've known some guys that got pensions, but boy, they took care of Roger. <laughs> yeah, with some I won't, I won't go I won't go into that story. Descendants would say, "Thus are the words of the big man." Right. That's right. That's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll tell you. Well, Doug, use use our yeah, Doug, use our name for reference. You're one of the big cogs in the radio show Wednesday night. Call me listeners. We had hit an hour, and you know, then the thing about your golf show, go to those little those smaller stations where you live at, and say, "Would yeah. you be interested here a golf show?" Then you go out to talk right. to the, the titleist thing. You talk to titleist or the sporting goods stores around here. Or your supplier, the suppliers that you know from titleist. You talk to them. Sometime hosting a golf show, get a gift certificate which you want to have your ad on there. And right. it's, you know, yeah, but, but Tommy, I, I got to say, be a little bit more versatile because uh, yeah, you know, just like we had, uh, you know, before Tony the Durham just before uh, the first part of the show. You know, you got to do other things too. You got to say, look, I can. And Tony, of course, was a sports writer. Then he became a broadcaster. That you know, right. and so many different mm-hmm. things. So, uh, don't don't just limit yourself to say, well, you know, yeah. your main thrust, obviously, you're a PGA professional. But sure, you also if, if you want to do a talk show and you want to talk about golf, but say, look, I want to talk about golf, but I want to also broaden out a little bit, talk about other things. Exactly. Sure. Exactly. Frank just said tick 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 tock guys. We're up against the clock. Doug, I really feel bad for your situation. I'll put you in my prayers tonight, sir. Don, uh, thank for you for your time. Roger, thanks for your time and yeah. I'd like to thank our Detroit Cummings and also Bill Matthews and Mike Simzak and, and Doug Hamilton every week these guys come on and God bless yeah. you guys. It wouldn't be show without you guys thank and Doug, Doug you're part of our radio family. Frank, thank you. Frank, another good Doug, job. If I hear anything from anybody up our way, I'll certainly call okay. you, Doug, and, and be yes, first sir. to let you know. Please do. Thanks for your We're help. We're all guys. with you, Doug. Take We're care. All with Have you, Doug. Week. You know that. Well, Frank, Frank, thank you for a great job once again. And when you're on the when you're on the highway this weekend or Super Bowl, when you're down in Tampa, please put your mask on when you're walking the city, and please do not drink and drive. Frank, great job. Well done. My family, your family, have a very blessed week. Frank, take it away. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week with grateful appreciation. The men and women of the United States Armed Forces and the men and women Police and Fire Services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please let them know that you know they're there. These programs are dedicated to those who have lost their lives in line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, Sergeant Thomas Bainger. Patrolman Jeffrey Yaswitz, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Hendler, Lieutenant Mike Zerber, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman Anafa Crispin, Lakeland PD, Chief Al Hogue, Alongo Key Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Highway Patrolman Alonzo Moses, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, Highway Patrol Brian Lazaro, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, Highway Patrolman Brian Murphy, Plymouth Township, PA Highway Patrol, Lieutenant Bob Neary, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant Mike Conwin, Sergeant Mike Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Deputy Jonathan Scott Pine, Orange County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Robert Germain, Windermere, Florida Police Department, Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol, 
Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department, Hillsborough County Deputy Sheriff Charlie Cotlop, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia, Philadelphia Police Department, <clears throat> Sergeant Roddy Bunn, uh, Delaware State Police, Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Cap Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Arth Hope, Wilmington Fire Department, Special Inspector Finney Galaccio, uh, Florida Department of Law Enforcement, Delaware State Trooper Corporal Stephen Ballard, Kissimmee Patrol Officer Matt Baxter, Kissimmee Sergeant Matt, uh, Sam Howard, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Deputy Bill, Bill Gentry, Highlands County Sheriff's Department, Debbie Clay Zerba, Clay County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Natalie Corona, LA County Sheriff's Department, Deputy April Rodriguez, Pasco County Sheriff's Department, Officer Bob McKetchen, Biloxi Police Department, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol and Sergeant Brian Levine, uh, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, at some time we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the rose rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields. And the sun shine lightly on your face until we meet again. May the good Lord keep you and your families always in the hallow of his hand. Good night, God bless, and have a great week. Shemalek ma'ilama Shemahezahilma Sona shenevorat fed Hakuig again ma'ilama